0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is James Van Pelt. James is a former high school English teacher who is now a full time science fiction, fantasy, and horror writer. His short stories have appeared in numerous magazines and anthologies, including Isomov's, Analog, Tailbones, Realms of Fantasy, Weird Tales, and others. Publishers Weekly Magazine wrote about Jim's writing. Van Pelt's superior combination of imaginative concepts with recognizable human emotions makes him a talent deserving of a wide readership. He's had two novels published, Summer of the Apocalypse and Pandora's Gun, and his latest book is The Best of James Van Pelt, which is a massive short story collection featuring 62 of his short stories. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your short story collection, The Best of James Van Pelt, can you tell us about one or two of your favorite stories in the collection?
1: Um, Well, it encompasses 30 years of publishing, and every story when I finished it was what I thought was the very best thing I've written, and I wanted to rush out and share it with everybody instantly. So uh, picking favorites is a little hard, I have some some stories in there that I was very proud of because I thought I accomplished something technically or plot-wise or um overcame a challenge, a writing challenge of my own to do it. There's a, a story in there called The Radio Magician, which I really liked because it it was researching Denver during the time when polio was a problem in Denver. And it was kind of an odd concept that there would be a show with radio magicians. That's like radio ventriloquism, which was also a thing, and it just seems like, well, how does that work? Because <laughs> people listening don't get to, you know, get the impact of it. But it was a thing, and and it was fun to write, and it's uh, it uh, gave me some challenges to overcome. I wrote a story called um, uh, "What Rough Beast It's Hard Come around at Last." Uh, shoot, comes towards Bethlehem. It's the part of the quote: "What rough beast?" It's our come round at last slouches towards Bethlehem, Um, which uh, was an interesting story for me to write because I wanted to have a sympathetic main character, but the main character is a guy who's locked up in prison for um, crimes against children, sexual crimes against children. And that's, that's a really high bar to try to create that character as a sympathetic character. Um, And I think I don't know that, that many readers could get over it. You know, you just can't you you see that this is a guy who's been convicted of uh molesting children and of course you just gonna hate him forever. But I wrote it with the idea that there's no throwaway people. And what do you do with yourself if you've done something horrifyingly bad in your past? How do you live with who you are after that? And that's kind of how that story went. It was a science fiction story. It was about prisons, how we deal with prisoners in the future. And that point of view character was that one. Um, So, you know, I was, I was happy with that. Um, I don't think it was my happiest story by far, but (laughs) um, I really liked it. I liked, I like writing flash fiction too. I have a story in there called The Lies and it's only about a thousand words long, but I liked what I was able to accomplish in it. So there's, there's a bunch of stories in there, as I said, at any point in my life, when I finished that story, that was my favorite story. And when I look back in the past now, it's a, it's a little bit like, um, someone looking at my collections. I have six collections out counting that best of, and they ask me which one's my favorite. Well, I liked all of them. I, I thought they did what I wanted them to do at the time I was trying to do it.
0: Sure. Well, your first short story publication was in 1991, according to your bibliography, and in the magazine After Hours. But what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and and getting that first short story publication?
1: Well, um, I actually started submitting work, or I didn't start submitting. I submitted a poem to Scientific America when I was in, like, fourth grade. I don't know why I thought Scientific America would print poetry because they don't, (laughs) Um, but I'd written a poem about a volcano and I was really happy with this and I sent it off and I'm sure I did everything. I did nothing right. I know I didn't type it. It had to be handwritten. It was probably in pencil, probably on a big chief tablet. I didn't include a self-addressed stamped envelope, but about six months later, someone at Scientific America wrote me back and said, thank you for submitting poetry. Scientific America, unfortunately, never prints poetry. That was my my first rejection. Then um, I liked uh, when we had a chance to write fiction when I was in school. I wasn't writing any on my own, but I loved those assignments when we had them. I I just thought they were great. And then somewhere uh, in my early, early college years, I started writing short stories. So that would put me 18 and up. I took um, creative writing courses in college because the um, PE minor that I thought was going to be really easy to do, and so I picked PE as my minor at first, required a, a class called Interpretive Dance, and I just couldn't see myself taking Interpretive Dance. So I saw that I could do an English minor with a lot of creative writing classes, and I said, well, I'll do that. And uh, luckily for me, my first professor at Metro State College in Denver was Vance Andall, who at the time, this is in the late 70s had published stories, uh, science fiction stories in Playboy and uh, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction and other places. So he was exactly the right guy. We both had uh, science fiction sensibilities. I'd been a big science fiction reader all of my life. Uh, That's pretty much all I read was science fiction. I love science fiction movies. So here's a guy who's my professor at the college who just by luck is also a science fiction writer. So that was very very nice for me. But I, I, I didn't really get serious about writing until I was in my late 20s and then started submitting regularly. Um, and I was I was teaching high school at the time. This is in uh, mid-1980s. And um, I was teaching creative writing and I was starting to feel like I knew some stuff. So I felt pretty good about my writing. I um, decided to take a couple years off and get a master's degree in creative writing at the University of California in Davis, which I did. I took a two-year sabbatical, and uh, I've been writing continuously ever since. So that would be 1988 when I started grad school. So uh, not, uh, not totally without some writing uh, street cred before I got out of high school, but not much. I wrote poetry when I was in high school because I thought girls would think it was cool.
0: Well, I read that you were submitting seriously for about six years before you sold that first story to after hours um I'm curious what do you think you were learning during those six years of of serious work and and submissions? Well, not as much as I should have evidently
1: <laughs> Was, um i I went at it kind of haphazardly i I didn't really think um that I would go out and read books on creative writing, which I didn't. I didn't know anything about conferences or conventions. So I was just writing these things um, for myself. And I was in a uh, science fiction club that was in Grand Junction, where I was living at the time. It was a converted um, Star Trek club. It was originally a Star Trek fan club. And when I got there, they'd switched over to a little bit broader mandate for themselves. But there was still a hardcore of, Trekkies in there. I remember, um, we, we had a meeting one night where a woman in the group had taken a second mortgage on her house to win an, a celebrity auction for a five minute phone call with William Shatner. And I was on her side of the conversation. And for the five minutes, I she was an older woman. Uh, she was in her fifties. I mean, that was older for me at the time. And uh, I'm pretty sure her pulse never dropped below 150 or so. She was doing that kind of adrenalized breathing. And she referred to him as Captain Kirk the whole time. It was spectacular. And she was hardly the strangest member of the club either. There was another woman in the club who was, she was uh, 6'2 or 6'3, weighed maybe 140 pounds, and always wore Star Trek bridge officer um, uniforms. That's all she wore. That's all she had. She worked in a bank, and that's what she wore in her work in the bank was a Star Trek bridge officer uniform. So um, the club did uh, science fiction story writing contests that they sponsored locally, and I entered those. So uh, I'd won a couple of them. I even won the fake a UFO photo contest. So I was feeling pretty full of myself until I went to a writing conference at uh, Colorado Mountain College where um, Ed Bryant the uh, famous Denver area science fiction writer was one of the guest writers. And I arranged to have a half hour critique session with him. So I'd sent the manuscript ahead of time and signed up for it. And I walk into the session. So this would be 1987, maybe or 86. So I'm 32 or 33. I've won a couple of contests. I've been teaching high school English for a bunch of years. Um, I'm a longtime fan You know, I feel like I'm not a rookie by any means. And um, Ed Bryant, when he shut the door and we sat down, he said, if the first thing I tell you is that this manuscript is unmitigated shit, then everything I say afterwards will sound better, won't it? (laughs) And uh, by the end of the half hour, we decided it wasn't quite unmitigated. That was was the highlight of that. that's, That's good. Ed and I became much better friends later because he does. He, I live in Grand Junction. He lives in Denver, so we're both Colorado. I'd run into him all the time. He was a very kind man. That, despite what that sounds like, he said he he was a good friend of Harlan Ellison, and sometimes Harlan rubbed off on him. Sure, and, sure. Um but he would come. I would come to Denver to do readings, and I'd only published a few short stories or when I did my first collection. He came to all those readings. He hadn't. He was Ed Bryant, for crying out loud. He had no reason to come to these readings. He was way kinder than he needed to be.
0: He was a really good guy. That's great. Well, when you sit down to write a story, do you have an idea of the story already in mind, or do you sit down literally with the first sentence or an image or even a blank page? What is that process like for you? Well, all those startings that you listed are ones that I've used
1: in the past. I am not an outliner. Uh, I very seldom have the whole story in my head when I start, I often start with just something that caught my eye. That was interesting. It could be just an image. Uh, it could be an overheard line of dialogue. It could be, uh, a song. I've written several things because, uh, I'm one of those people who, when I buy myself, sometimes I will play the same track several times in a row because mm-hmm. I just like it. Um, There's a song, oh gosh, there's so many of them. Um, I'm not going to come up with it, but I'm just like that. And and what I've learned is um, writers will often tell audiences or, or young writers often hear, write about what you know. And that sounds like pretty good advice, but it's really kind of BS because it means that you can only write um, autobiography. Um, But I think a much better piece of advice is write about what you think about. And so when I find myself fixating on something, I eventually am going to say, why am I interested in that? And that will generate a story. What's my fascination with that, whether it's a song or whatever, like here's, I'm almost embarrassed about this. I have a guilty pleasure on my playlist, a musical playlist is there's about a half a dozen Britney Spears songs that (laughs) I really like. And there's one that call is called uh, till the world ends. And I, I don't know I started writing a story about a guy who's working with a rock and roll diva sort of loosely modeled on Britney Spears and she's nutty and he's trying to do the best he can with her. And it's a, it's a science fiction story. Um, I probably listened till the world ends 200 times while I was writing that story just to kind of keep my head in the same mind space.
0: That's great. Well, you mentioned earlier that you um, did an MFA program in California. What was your MFA experience like? Uh, it was an MA. An uh, MA, okay. Oh, that's all right. There's, I don't see
1: much difference between them, but I guess the difference is an MFA is the stepping stone to a doctorate and an MA is the, that's a terminal degree. I don't know. Gotcha. At any rate, <laughs> um, what was the question again? Well, <laughs> I
0: just wonder what your experience was like oh, okay. um, doing that.
1: Well, I know a lot of people have talked about uh, the Academy being sort of um, opposed philosophically, snobbishly to science fiction and fantasy kind of genre stuff that they don't like it. That was not my experience at uh, the University of California in Davis. Although to be fair, the stories that I sent in, in my portfolio, in my application for the program, the guy who was reading the short stories and was in charge of the program at the time thought I was a magical realist. So they took me and it turns out, no, the spaceship in my story is a spaceship. That's that's (laughs) a friend of mine uh, has sold several poems to Asimov's and she's a very serious poet. And when she sold the first one, I asked her about that because I didn't even know that she had any interest in science fiction. And she said, oh, I don't. They took my metaphor literally and bought it. That's interesting. And I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was a good experience. They, um, The program was just really interested in um, creating good fiction, and I could tell the stories that I wanted to tell. My understanding is that's not the case with every master's program in creative writing, and there's some where there's a lot of stories that science fiction writers will say about how they were treated by the academy, you know, the, the literate because they write science fiction, and they aren't all good stories.
0: Sure. Well, you've mentioned on your blog that you've been writing at least 200 words every single day since November of 1999. What led you to challenge yourself to write a minimum of 200 words a day? Uh, Mostly laziness, as it turns out.
1: I'm a very streaky guy, and I uh, I will respect a streak. So here's what happened. I graduated from UC Davis with my master's degree in 1990, and then I went back to the high school that I'd been teaching at and started teaching again. So I've devoted two years to this dream that I want to know more about writing. I sold my first fiction while I was at that program, you know, so I didn't want to waste it. So I wanted to set goals for myself. Well, I'd heard that Stephen King wrote a thousand words a day. A thousand words is a fairly reasonable goal. It's only four pages if you double space. And I can write a thousand words in under an hour if I'm on a roll. You know, if I know where I'm going and, and you know, a thousand words can fly off the fingers pretty quickly. The problem was that um, I wasn't always on a roll and I was teaching full time and I was a, a parent and I'm married and I, I do exercises and, I you know, I have other things in my life. So if I got to the point in the day, where now it's my time to write, and I didn't feel like I had enough time to do a thousand words, I'd say, oh, screw it. I can't do a thousand words. I I, I shouldn't try. So I wouldn't do anything. And what this added up to was a lot of days with no writing. Mm-hmm. And i get to the end of the year, and I would add up my total number of words. And it was always embarrassingly short. If you're writing a thousand words a day, that's 365,000 words, right? That's a good, fat fantasy novel. That's three regular novels. Um, but I was coming up with 40,000 words, 50,000 words. It's, it was, it, And I was beating myself up about it. It took me nine years to finally get to a point where I was, I'd was. added up my what I thought my words were going to be for 1999, and it looked like it was going to be about 35,000 words. Then I was discouraged. And I said, what would make me happy? If I doubled that, would that make me happy? I said, sure. 70,000 is way better than 30,000 did the math that's about 200 words a day but i can't skip any days so in november of 1999 i wrote my 200 words a lot of times i write more than 200 but i wrote my 200 and i haven't missed a day since and that includes a couple times i had kidney stones that includes days two of my children were born um no one of my children's born he's not that young um all kinds of stuff but 200 words, that's less than a page. I can do that during lunch. I could do it before school started. I could do it during a faculty meeting. It would look like I was taking notes. I could do it anywhere. They even dead tired at the end of the day, completely exhausted. I could sit down and do 200 words. It might be a crummy 200 words, but the streak would continue. And the real benefit for me is that when I'm working, and I think a lot of people are like this, but when I'm working on a story, there's a lingering effect of the story in my head when I walk away from my computer. So I've I've got these characters and I'm just, I'm working on a scene or whatever. I'm in the world of the story. I shut the computer. I walk away. I will continue to think about the story in some level or another for some amount of time. And 24 hours, I won't forget the story. I won't lose the feeling that I had that I was writing the story. That's my lingering effect. If I took like a week off, though, I might open up my manuscript and not really remember what was exciting me about those words in the first place. And sometimes I could reignite it and keep it going. But other times I'd look at it and go, what the heck was I thinking? And, and I just have to give it up. So the one writing every day means that I'm always thinking fictionally. I'm always in a storytelling mode, uh, at least subconsciously, and um, I've remained pretty productive. As you know, uh, I started that in 1999. Here we are in 2022. I've got six short story collections. Um, uh, I've sold uh, about 180 short stories. I have two novels. If I, if I rested right now, I could say I have a, I've had a career. Sure.
0: Well, you also mentioned on your blog that you started a challenge several years ago to write one short story per week. And I think you did that for two years. How did that challenge go for you? And I'm curious, were there there ever any weeks where you sat sat down and just didn't have any idea about what to write? Um, I wish I'd done it for two
1: years. I've got first readers who said, why don't you do it again for another year? Because they like getting a story every week. I did it for a year I did it because Ray Bradbury had suggested in, I think it's in Zen and the Art and um, of Writing, and he'd got it, said it in an interview somewhere, that one of his pieces of advice for young writers is that they write a story a week for a year because, as he said, no one could write 52 bad stories in a row. And I thought, when I started this, this was uh, 2015, I'd already been selling stories for 25 years by then and um i i was not a young writer but i think there's an awful lot more to learn about writing and the only way you can do that is to is to do that so i thought well i'll try that i'll i'll try bradbury's write a story a week um i was at uh, the rainforest writers retreat in washington and i started that week i finished a story then i managed a story every week for the next 52 weeks except one story went long. It went about 12,000 words. That took two weeks to write, but I wrote another story during those two weeks. So (laughs) I I just, I didn't want to break the streak. Remember, I'm a little obsessive compulsive about streaks. Um, I pretty much, uh, maybe half the time during the week that I was writing a story, something would occur to me about another piece I might want to write and I'd write a note for myself. So when I finished the story, I normally finish my rough draft by Sunday, start the new story on Monday. I might already have a note of something I want to try. Um, but the other half of the time I had nothing. So I just sat down, I'm, I'd finish the last story. And of course, in my head, that's the greatest thing I've ever written because that's kind of the way my brain works. And I would just have to come up with something out of the blue. Um, sometimes I looked at my notebooks. I have lots of story promoting ideas for myself that work for me. Uh, just going down to Barnes and Noble for a couple hours and wandering around, I will have story ideas before I leave because I have cover art to look at and, uh, cover copy, you know, blurbs. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it's filled with stuff. There's poetry to pick up. Poetry is very inspirational for me. I can go to an art museum and look at art. I can listen to music. Um, there's a gazillion ways to promote ideas. And so by the end of the day, I would get something started. Cause remember I was still on 200 words a day. And a lot of times I started stories. I thought, well, this week's story is going to be pretty insignificant. This is a stupid idea, (laughs) but by (laughs) Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I found a lot of times that the idea for the story had grown in my head and it was a much more significant piece than I thought when I started. And that's one of the things I learned about it is that it's, as an artist, you're really going to be cutting yourself short if you only start on things that you are sure are mega projects or so good that they can't, you know, they must be written. I I think it's okay to start something and think, well, this is going to be a slight effort. Maybe I'll just consider it a writing exercise. Mm -hmm. But instead it turns into something. They, They all turned into something. Of those 52 stories, I think now I've sold 45
0: of them. I think I have seven unsold. That's great. I'm curious, are you currently planning any other writing challenges for yourself? I don't have anything on the horizon. I, I do occasionally think, oh, why not do the story a
1: week thing uh, again? Like I did NaNoWriMo one year just to see if I could do it. And that turned into one of my two novels. That was Pandora's Gun. I, I wrote the whole novel in November. Of uh, whatever that was, two thousand six, two thousand five, and uh, and then took a year to edit it into something decent, um, and then it came out.
0: Well, Art, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels?
1: Well, I think um, some of the writing advice is going to be like um, negative space advice. Like, uh, I don't think there is a a secret formula that I could say because it would only be the secret formula for me and somebody else is going to find their own. But I do think that the advice I can give you is that you do need to write and write fairly regularly. Um, I think that it's worth reading the stuff that you like a second, third, fourth, fifth time to start asking yourself why you like what you're reading? Why, why did that story stick with you? What is, it's not because you want to write like that, but there was something in that person's writing that affected you emotionally or intellectually. How'd they do that? How did they trick your emotions into getting hooked into the story? And only by rereading it, can you start to see that? Because the first time you read it, you're, you're part of the narrative trick, right? You're being tricked and your heart might race or you might, uh, get sad and cry or you might, what, whatever. Like, um, here's a good example. I'm watching, my wife and I watch something most nights before we go to bed. Mm-hmm. Right now we're watching call the midwife. Do you know the show? Um, I don't, but I've heard of it. I just don't know about it. Well, um, it's, it's about, uh, English midwives in London in the fifties. And, uh, I watched one the other night, a couple nights ago where the show's only an hour long, and I was crying the last half hour, the whole last 30 minutes. And I have to rewatch that because I need to see how I got set up for that. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting technique. How do, uh, how do the stories that make me laugh make me laugh? And how do the stories that I think about later do that? So I can go back and relook at it and start getting a little analytic about it. How do I write a scene where I introduce a character? Well, why don't I go back and read how other people introduced characters? And then I become my own teacher. um, And I think that that's a pretty good way to improve your writing in a hurry. Um, Yes, writing will improve it too, right? There's somebody said you've got to get a million bad words out before you get to anything good. I don't know that it's a million. In fact, I don't believe it's a million at all. But I do believe that you do need to get to the point where, um, the flow of words is a little less self-conscious. And the only way you can do that is to get used to writing, whether it's journaling every day or whatever. And then of course, read a lot. Um, I don't know. It's like, I was a high school teacher for a long time. And what I learned about teaching is I needed to be pretty modest about what my impact was on students. I couldn't get full of myself about what a great teacher I was because what I've discovered is that in any class that I give, when I have 30 kids in that class and I go at, you know, whatever our lesson is, is for 45 minutes, probably 25 of them have nothing that they remember from that class for the rest of their life. Five of them will remember something from that class, but they'll all be different things. And one of them, might remember something from that class that impacts their their life for the rest of their life. But I never know which thing it's going to be. And no teacher can. So if you turn that around as a student, you don't know when you're going to have the epiphany that's going to reveal everything that you would like to know about something. So you just have to be open to the information. Read a lot. Go ahead. Go to conventions or if there's a writer in town giving a reading, or you can go to YouTube, by the way, and, and listen to a gazillion different authors doing readings or doing lessons. There's a, a thing in Masterclass. Neil Gaiman does Masterclass stuff. Brandon <laughs> Sanderson, who's made, what did he make? Did he go 20? I think it was 42 million. 42 million? Yeah. yeah. Right in a month. He's putting up content on how he writes um, for free. On YouTube, you can go listen to Brandon Sanderson anytime you want or Ray Bradbury or Robert Heinlein or Maya Angelou or anyone else. The The idea that there isn't information out there and that you can't learn if you want to improve is ludicrous if you have an op-
0: opportunity to get online and, and look for stuff. Sure. I'm curious. Do you have any um, upcoming short stories slated for publication? Uh, Let
1: me see. The May-June Asimov is coming out here and will be on the newsstands right away. I have a story there. Um, Analog, Science Fiction Analog has a story of mine. They haven't told me when it's going to come out, but it is um, coming out sometime. (laughs) They bought it, so it'll probably come out in the next uh, couple issues or so. Um, I have, uh, let me see. I also like Flash Fiction. I sold a couple of drabbles. Do you know what a drabble is? I don't know. Oh, drabbles are so much fun. If you're looking for a writing exercise, a drabble is a short story that has to be exactly 100 words long. (laughs) It's a great challenge. And um, there's a magazine called Martian, the magazine of science fiction drabbles, that pays pro rates for those. I didn't know what they were until last year, and and, uh, they were fun to write. I have a couple of those coming out. I wrote a story for a Cosmic Horror Monthly Micro Madness that will be coming out. I had one that uh, uh, probably the most disturbing story I've ever written, like I never shared it with my wife, um, that appeared in Night Terror Publishing just a month ago. Um, I had a story appear in Daily Science Fiction a couple couple weeks ago. So I always have stuff coming up. Things are, you know, always uh, in the pipeline. Sure. Um, I have, uh, let me see, I think uh, 14, 13 or 14 stories circulating right now looking for a home. I always have, um, you know, some stories out there, uh, anywhere from a half a dozen to I think the most I've ever had out at once was maybe 20 some stories.
0: Well, what novels or short story collections have you read recently that you enjoy?
1: Oh man, um, I really like Daryl Gregory's short story collection called "Unpossible," and he is a massive talent. He's been nominated for a few things, but I don't think he's won anything. He wrote. He also writes really good novels. Uh, "Spoonbenders" is one that came out recently, or uh, "We're All Completely Fine." Uh, I like Daryl Gregory Gregory's work a lot. Um, Carrie Vaughn, uh, also. Very good at novel length and short stories. Um, she has a story called Amaryllis and Other Stories. Um, she's been on s- several short lists, Hugo lists and Nebula lists, I believe. Um, she's a lot of fun to read. I always read anything that Connie Willis puts out because um, just she's great. Hard to beat. Kelly Link, um, same thing. She has several short story collections. They're older now, so they aren't real recent, but The Fairy Handbag and Other Stories um, is quite good. Um, Neil, Neil Gaiman, I like quite a bit. Um, Neverwhere, I think is just a, a really good novel. I liked American Gods. That's one most people think of when they think of him, but I liked Neverwhere better. And his short story collections are a a great deal of fun.
0: That's great. Well, I mentioned this, this, uh, really large collection, the best of James Pelt, um, short story collection that you have, I'm curious, have you ever considered putting together a complete collection of all of your short stories? Well, it would be a doorstop. (laughs) It'd have to be multiple volumes, probably. Yeah.
1: Well, no, but uh, most of my short stories... Well, let me see. I was trying to think how many uncollected short stories now between the, the six collections, how many have not been put together in a collection. There's probably another... 30 or 40 stories that have never been collected um yeah i don't know what my publisher would think of that he was he really the this book was the biggest book that uh, fairwood press had ever put together and it is a big book it should come out it's still right now in it's limited edition um hardbound run they we just printed a, a limited number of them and they're all signed and numbered hardback books the, um we'll take him to world fantasy in new orleans coming up here at the end of the year and probably sell the rest of them. And then that book will be released as a trade paperback and also an ebook.
0: That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your writing and your short stories? Uh, I do most of my
1: stuff on Facebook. So you can find me if you look for James Van Pelt. I think it's James Van Pelt 14. I don't know why. I can't imagine there's 13 other James Van Pelt's, but that's what they gave me. Um, I also have a website that I um, update less frequently, which is uh, jamesvanpelt.com. Although my links to other things are there, and because I pay for
0: that thing, um, I really should update it more often. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with James Van Pelt, author of numerous short stories The Best of James Van Pelt Short Story Collection is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Jim, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you. I really do uh, appreciate it. I was flattered that you asked. Great. Thanks a lot.